0: Thank you, Adam. Normally at this time, on a Wednesday night, I would open up a can of sardines or a can of barbecue spam, and we would play a game. Um, But it's not nighttime, so I'm going to save you from having to play a game in here. Uh, But if you want to play a game, you can join us on Wednesday nights, and I'll be happy to um, do that with you. I want to thank Adam for the opportunity to come and speak to you all this morning. You know, um, three weeks after I became youth pastor in June of 2007, I had the privilege of taking a group of about 40 students to Six Flags. And we went to go be part of Atlanta Fest. Atlanta Fest is a Christian music festival that's held Thursday, Fridays, and Saturdays in July. And there's also some great speakers there. Uh, That night when we were there, there was a man who got up and spoke, and his name was James Ryle. And he shared his testimony, and it has stuck with me all these years. And I want to share with you just a little bit of his testimony. At the age of two, James Ryle's father was thrown, uh, placed in prison for armed robbery. He was placed into an orphanage with his four brothers and sisters. Um, shortly thereafter, his mom uh, met another man and got them out of the orphanage, and they lived together as a family for about another four years. Uh, that man was a, a real bad alcoholic, and uh, James's two older brothers ran away from home back to the original orphanage they were in, And the mother, fearing for the well-being of the other three, went and placed them back into a different orphanage. At the age of six, James was in that orphanage, and he was there until he was 17 years of age. At 17, James left the orphanage. And that was in the late 1960s when the hippie movement was real big, and so James became a hippie. He uh, found himself in a car accident. And needing a lawyer, he found a hippie lawyer. Uh, Later on, he goes to say that having a hippie lawyer was probably not the best move in his life. Um, To help pay his lawyer fees, uh, James started selling marijuana. And he was selling marijuana, and he was arrested for possession and selling of marijuana. Now, in Texas at the time, the judge over his area was a pretty stern man who had given a man with two ounces of marijuana five years in prison. James had over a pound of marijuana on him. So he was pretty sure he was going in for 30, 40, to 50 years of prison. He was sitting there in the holding cell, and the appointed state attorney came to him and said, James, I'm going to be honest with you, son. You're guilty. You know you're guilty. I know you're guilty. Everybody does. There's plenty of evidence. There's plenty of witnesses. But the judge has said to save taxpayer money... And to save the time of having to get a jury, if you'll plead guilty, he'll give you two years in the state penitentiary. James had never really had a lot of God influence in his life. The orphanage had chapel services. But when that happened, something clicked in his mind, and God provided for him. And so he said, yes, I'll plead for two years. He was expecting a lifetime in prison. Two years sounded a good deal. James went to prison, accepted Christ, and within one year was released. James later went on to go to college. James went to seminary. He became a pastor, started two churches, and served as chaplain for the University of Colorado football team with a guy by the name of Bill McCartney, who many of you know started Promise Keepers. James uh, is on the board for that organization, and 26 years after leaving the orphanage, he found himself at a very interesting place in life. Here he is helping run an organization called Promise Keepers, and he's never really reconciled with his father. So Jones decides to make a phone call. He calls his dad and says, "Is this Bert Ryle?" And he goes, "Yes, it is." And he goes, "Bert Ryle, who's the father of names of siblings and James?" And he goes, "Yes, who is this?" And he goes, "This is your son, James." He said, "There was a lot of silence, and he said, "Dad, here's the thing. I would love to come and talk with you and meet with you and introduce my family to you. But if it's too weird for you or you're not interested, just let me know and I'll never talk to you again. His dad said, you know what, I'd like that. <clears throat> so James and his family came down from Colorado back to Texas, and they spent about a week with his dad. Halfway through that trip, James was sitting there with his dad, and he'd been dying to ask his dad a question. And so he finally got him and his dad alone. They were sitting in the den, and he said, Dad, I've been wanting to ask you this question, but what prison were you in? And his dad said, well, I was in the central uh, prison. And James' heart kind of sank. Being a pastor, he was like all pumped up to have his dad say the same prison that he was in and have this great sermon about he was in the prison that his father was in and all these type things. And all this was running through his mind and he was thinking. And his father said, well, son, what prison were you in? And James said, well, I was in the Fairbanks prison. And he said his dad's demeanor changed. He turned pale, his jaw dropped, and he said, dear God, son, I built that prison And James said, what are you talking about? And he said, son, when I was at Central Prison, they built Fairbanks. And they used prison labor. And I was the welder who welded all the bars on that prison. I built the prison that you are in. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, in the next few moments, Lord, I pray that you would use my foolishness as your wisdom. And Father, I pray that you bless this time. In your name we pray. Amen. I want to share with you a passage of scripture found in Deuteronomy 5. And and many of you will be familiar with it when you turn there. It's the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments, as you may know, were ten commands that God gave his children of Israel. Now, to kind of set the stage, here they are standing at Mount Sinai. And there was this cloud of, uh, of pillar of fire that went with them or a cloud of smoke that traveled with them. And God began to talk to the children of Israel. It kind of freaked them out. And so they went to Moses and said, hey, could God not talk to us? Could you maybe handle that and just relay the information? Because, you know, it's kind of scary. So Moses talked to God and God's like, cool. So they went up to Mount Sinai and uh, they're hanging out up there. And God gives Moses these Ten Commandments. Now these Ten Commandments are very important because, one, they were given to Moses by God. And secondly, this is the basis for everything else which the Jewish people believe. You see, the Jewish people later on have 613 laws. And many of you are familiar with the craziness of some of these laws, but they're known as the, as the mitzvahs. And these laws were written and deal with every little thing, but these laws all can be centered, umbrellaed under one of the Ten Commandments. When Jesus came and Jesus fulfilled the law, he did away with those 613 laws, but he reinforced the Ten Commandments. So I want to look first at two commandments specifically this morning. First, I'm going to look at Deuteronomy 5, <clears throat> verses 8 through 10 And keep my commandments. The second verse I want to look at, the second commandment, is in verse 16. Where it says, Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long, and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now, you know, that whole passage there, that it may go well with you in the land that you're living... I always kind of wondered exactly what that meant. And I was doing some reading, and I love sharing this verse with our students. But um, later on in some of those mitzvah laws I talked about, I found one such case. In Deuteronomy 21, starting at verse 18, it says this, If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, Then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of the city at the gate of the place where he lives. And they shall say to the elders of this city, this our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst and all Israel shall hear and fear. Um, there's a pile of stones behind the church, if you might use to borrow some later. So obviously, honoring your father and mother keeps you from being stoned to death. I, that votes for me is living a long and well life. And then I had some wisdom from the deep south that I could fall back on. My, my grandmother was born in Jacksonville, Florida, back when it was the old country before all the snowboards came down. She always pointed that out to us. But she always used to say, "If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy." And so honoring your mother and father fall into that category. Now, let me point something out to you. That none of you in this room are too old to honor your mother and father. Honor is not obedience. Obedience is part of honoring. But honor goes much deeper. Honor is something that in today's society we really don't focus on. We really don't think about. But honor is something that says, you know, I stand for something, I believe in something, and I hold to something at all costs. The closest thing in our society that we have to deal with this is our military men, who are overseas and who fight for something and fight for us even though they've never met us, but they believe in what the United States stands for, and therefore they stand. And so honor is something that has a great importance. How do we honor our mother and father? You know, many times when I was in, in school... Uh, my brother was uh, two, uh, two years ahead of me in school, and I always had the joy of like following him, and he did not always behave himself the best way. And so when I would come to a teacher, they'd be like, oh, you're Mark's brother. You know, and I, I was already in trouble before I ever started. But at the same time, in those teachers' minds, what they're also saying is, what do your parents do at home to raise you guys if you're so bad? Well, that was dishonoring to our parents. Because people who don't even know my parents think of my parents and have a view of them based on the way I behave. For me to honor my mother and father is that after you've met me, you think highly of my parents. Whether they live in this state, whether you've ever met them, or whether they've passed on is irrelevant. When we meet you, when we talk to you, you should live a life that honors your parents, that brings praise to their name, even though they never may have met them. That is what God is looking for here. And obedience is a huge part of that. Obeying our parents is part of how we honor them, but it's not the whole picture. So, that is what we're looking at here in this passage is that we should honor them. Now, we know that I told you earlier that Jesus said, you know, hey, we're going to do away with this mitzvah, but I want to focus in on the Ten Commandments. And and here's how we know that. If you flip to Ephesians 6, Adam preached on uh, the last series he did on Ephesians, we hear in verse 1 of chapter 6 children. Obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. That is that commandment just repeated. Remember, Paul wrote that. He had studied. He was a Pharisee. He knew the law, and he recited that to them. We are to obey our mothers and our fathers. We are to honor our mothers and fathers. So students, children... That is where you fit in this picture. Hey, but moms and dads, we're still to honor our moms and dads. And we're still to carry on what that looks like as we live our lives. Now, when we get into this life and we start thinking things, our actions speak so much louder than our words. We've heard that our whole lives, but it is so true. Most children, the majority of what they learn is caught. It's not taught. Now, parents, I know you do a great job teaching your students and telling them what is right and what is wrong. But hey, if we tell our students what is right, but then we go off and do something different, guess what they see? Grandparents, guess what our children see? They see how we live. They see how we act. That is a reflection of how we're parenting is on what they say. Now, I've put together a video um, on Wednesday night, and I want to share this with you. Um, don't want get too scared. It's, it's not bad, but we're going to show you a quick video. It is so important how we live our lives so that our students and our children will see that and our grandchildren will see that. Secondly, the Scripture talks about these generations and that the iniquities travel to the third and fourth generation, but that His blessings travel to the thousands of generations. The good news is we can break that generation cycle. I was curious about some of these generational iniquities, if you will. And I started looking and and I found some statistics. 80% of children from divorced homes will get divorced. Children of alcoholics are four times more likely to develop alcoholism than children who do not have alcoholic parents. 50% of inmates are second generation inmates. Inmates. Mother or father was incarcerated before them. But guys, on the good side, 70% of Christians who are genuinely living out their faith had parents who were Christians. Uh, My wife Angie, um, neither of her parents grew up in Christian homes. And when Angie was in high school, she had a friend invite her to church, and Angie came to know Christ through uh, that church and the friendship she had there. Because of that, Angie's mom and dad both later came to accept Christ. Now our children grow up in a Christian home with both sets of grandparents that are Christian. You see, cycles can be broken. We don't have to just settle on the fact, oh, that's just the way my parents were, and that's just the way I'm going to be. And Scripture promises that. I mean, how refreshing is it to know that those things only travel three or four generations, and God puts an end to it? But when you love him, that he carries that for thousands of generations. What a blessing that he has. That we can carry that for thousands of generations. But God, it takes an active part. We're told in scripture that living the life is a daily task. That we're to take up our cross every single day. That we're to make a choice to live for him. It doesn't matter what the day before held. We are given every opportunity today to take up that cross. During uh, World War II, Robbie Zacharias shares in his book, The Grand Weaver, there, there was this, uh, a signalman, third class, Elgin Staples, who was on the USS Astoria. He was a, uh, a gunner's mate, and he was on the eight-inch guns of his ship when uh, they were, came under attack, and he was actually blown off of his ship into the water with shrapnel in his legs, Before that happened, though, he had managed to strap on his life belt. He was knocked overboard. Uh, He was picked up and rescued after about four hours in the water and returned to his ship, which within the next half hour sank. And he found himself back in the water. Uh, About another eight hours later, the the USS President Jackson, which was a a transport ship, came by and and rescued him and about five other sailors who were in the water. And as he's traveling back to to land, he's just holding on to this life belt that he had worn that saved his life. And he just starts studying it. And and he's looking at it. And he's looking at each, every letter, every number. And he's just glued to it. And he notices that it says it was made by the Firestone Tire Company in Akron, Ohio. Uh, Because of his injuries, he's sent home. And he's sitting at home and he's talking to his mom, who his mom happened to work for Firestone. And so he started asking her questions about, you know, what all these numbers and symbols meant. And and they're having a conversation. And he finally gets down to this one last number that just was kind of out of place and didn't make any sense to him. And uh, he said, Mom, what, what was that number? And she said, Well, those were identification numbers. And during the war... Firestone took an initiative that they wanted us to take great pride in our soldiers in the war effort. And so I was an inspector, and every other inspector had a number assigned to them. And they would place that number on their life jacket that they made as a symbol as a sense of pride. That, hey, I've inspected this, it's good to go. She said, you wouldn't happen to remember your number, would you? And he goes, actually, I do, because I studied that thing so well. And he told her the number, and she just started weeping. That was her number. She had inspected and approved the very life belt that would later save her son's life. What is our legacy? What legacy are we leaving for our children? Have we built a prison? Or have we built a life vest? This morning I want to give you an opportunity to do something a little different. our students are very used to me giving weird invitations. And so I'm going to give you a little bit maybe different invitation than you're used to. This morning what I'm going to ask you to do is, is this. I want to ask you, moms, dads, grandparents, students, children, is in the next few moments when we come up to find each other, to come up front and pray together as a family. You know, Adam shared with us Deuteronomy 6 how important it is for parents that we are the leaders of our family. You know, we're, we're having our family ministry um, that we're about to start up. And we are preparing to be intentional and systematic, partnering with parents and equipping them to lead their children in spiritual growth. What better way to start that than moms, dads, and grabbing your family and coming up here and praying together as a family and praying for what God would do in the next coming months. But as always, if you're visiting with us for the first time or you've been visiting for a while and you want to come join the church, we encourage you to do so. Or maybe today you want to take up that cross that you've never taken up and accept Christ as your Lord and your Savior so that you might be able to lead that, your family down the road that God would have you to lead it. To break that cycle of the iniquities and move into a cycle where God blesses you. The choice is today are yours. What will our legacy be? Heavenly Father, in the next few moments, Lord, I pray that we would silence everything around us. Lord, that we would tune our hearts that it may hear that still small voice. Father, I pray that, Lord, you would guide us and lead us to follow you. In your name we pray these things. Amen.